0: Welcome to Reitman for the Job. I'm Ross May. Hey, what do you get when you combine Star Wars and Mad Max? Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Kind of a silly question, isn't it? Okay, everyone, here I thought we were going to jump right into Ghostbusters, but I had a question. So Ivan Reitman met Joe Medjuk and Michael C. Gross, two people who would help him make movies and other projects for years to come. That got me wondering, though, where were his two university pals, Dan Goldberg and Len Bloom, for the making of Ghostbusters? They'd been together since the start. The Three Amigos. No, wait, that's a different movie. But they'd been friends and working together, so it's weird, almost kind of too bad, that they weren't involved with Ivan's biggest success, Ghostbusters. And I didn't really find a definitive answer. I think Ivan didn't really need them in producer roles anymore, so they were strictly scriptwriting... But Ghostbusters was Dan Aykroyd's baby and Ivan brought on Harold Ramis so his pals Goldberg and Bloom weren't needed. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Heavy Metal came and went in 1981 and it was a reasonable success and Goldberg and Bloom wrote a lot of its segments. What's new on the horizon for them at Columbia Pictures?
1: In two weeks, Columbia Pictures will present 3D as you've never seen it before. The first quality 3D film backed by a major studio. The first to use a new state-of-the-art 3D process. This is Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. It's the story of three unlikely heroes. Their destination, the Forbidden Zone. Their mission, save three stranded women. I like her. Their chances, one in a million. I'll take that bet. Columbia Pictures presents outer space as you've never seen it before. The ultimate 3-D experience. Can't anything be simple anymore. Space Hunter. Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. In 3-D. The first movie that puts you in outer space. Rated PG. Coming soon to a theater near you.
0: Big surprise, the production of Space Hunter is not well documented. But it doesn't really need to be. Somebody, probably a Columbia executive, saw that Return of the Jedi was coming out in May of 1983. Hey, what if Columbia made its own Star Wars to cash in? A Star Trek? No, 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 that's already taken. What about a Star Hunter? No, 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 too obvious. Space, Space Hunter. Space Hunter, yeah, run with that. While being an American shoot, this sounds like sort of a Canadian affair at the outset. David Preston and Edith Ray are the two writers I know nothing about, but their first credits are this movie. They'd later write for Canadian or Canadian-American productions like Mystery Files of Shelby Woo, the 1997 Lassie series, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Emily of New Moon, that's a Lucy Maud Montgomery thing right there, you know I always point those out. But nope, they never did write for Littlest Hobo. Now cut that out! So that's David Preston and Edith Ray, who I'm guessing are Canadian, but eh, who knows. The other two writing team here are, of course, Dan Goldberg and Len Bloom. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing them coming off of several successful movies meant they were really more the punch-up guys. But again, I'm guessing more than I usually do. Actually, actually, I'm wondering if someone at Columbia really picked them for this, and yes, got Ivan Reitman to be executive producer, because maybe they saw some connective tissue between Heavy Metal and Space Hunter. I'm wondering if that was the angle. Yes, this is a Star Wars knockoff, but it's from the people who brought you Heavy Metal, so maybe that's why you should check it out in theaters. And boy, is it ever a Star Wars knockoff. And it came out less than a week before Return of the Jedi in 83. I love it. They're really hoping you're so excited to see how Han Solo will be rescued in Jedi, perhaps so excited you might even want to watch a worse Star wars movie to tide you over until the real thing arrives in a week. Oh, I haven't even mentioned the director yet, Lamont Johnson, not to be confused with the actor, and a couple of famous musicians all named Lamont Johnson. This Lamont Johnson, the director, was born in 1922. Johnson was a television old-timer, directing for shows like Half Gun, Will Travel, Peter Gunn, and The Twilight Zone. Hey, among many episodes of The Twilight Zone, he directed Shelter. You know, it's the one where a family has a fallout shelter, and all the neighbors go crazy wanting to get inside while a missile warning is announced. That's a really good one. So that is Lamont Johnson. Lamont Johnson has no real connection to Ghostbusters or Ivan Reitman, but he does have a deep connection to Columbia Pictures. Way back in the 50s, the first series he directed for was NBC Matinee Theater. I'll explain the importance of that show another day, but here's the relevant bit. One of the producers on Matinee Theater was a young Frank Price. Years later, Frank Price would become chairman of Columbia Pictures. Ah, so there's the connection. Space Hunter seems so out of Lamont Johnson's wheelhouse, who usually worked in TV and, frankly, usually did more prestigious work there, a lot of high-profile specials in the 70s and 80s. But someone wanted the Star Wars knockoff, and Frank Price knew he could rely on his old colleague of 30 years, Lamont Johnson. So that's why Johnson is here directing Space Hunter. It's because he had a long working relationship with Price over at Columbia. Peter Strauss plays Han Solo Light. So, Dash Rendar, I guess? Hey, Star Wars fans, does anyone remember Dash Rendar? He's the Han Solo stand-in for adventures when Han Solo was frozen. I joke, but you have no idea how accurate this is. Peter Strauss plays the Han Solo hero, and he straight-up does a Harrison Ford impression. He speaks kind of flat, and ends sentences on a down note. I can't even copy it. I'd try it if I could. You know what? Peter Strauss is doing a pretty good, pretty natural-sounding Harrison Ford impression. He could have done Han Solo or Indiana Jones in cartoons and games. He's that good. Not a perfect sound-alike, but good. But yes, Peter Strauss is our guy, and he straight up has a spaceship that's falling apart like the Millennium Falcon. He even dresses like Han Solo, only grungier. He has a dark vest and a beige shirt. And you know how Han had a stripe running down his pants? This guy has the stripe running down the short sleeves of his shirt. I love it. It's some very obvious choices to remind you of Han. But anyway... A big fancy spaceship blows up from a storm in space, and three ladies in an escape pod crash land on a desert planet. You know the ladies are rich because their ship and their spacesuits are all shiny gold. They also don't have personalities. They're the MacGuffins for the movie. Bad guys on the planet want them, and our Han Solo wants to rescue them for a reward. The reward is millions of blippity-blops or Monopoly money or something. They just throw around random words, but that's the premise of the movie. Oh, hey, here's something mildly interesting. Six minutes in, when we meet not Han Solo on his ship, he's listening to a radio transmission from Harold Ramis. Ah, that's fun to hear him. Again, shades of Harold Ramis helping out Ivan Reitman for heavy metal a few years ago. So our hero gets down onto the planet, and all the miniature people working on the movie can relax now because we won't be seeing any more space scenes for the rest of the movie. Really, this movie is about trucks. Let's get trucks and put weird crap on them and make them look like dumber versions of what you would see in Mad Max movies. So it's nothing but trucks and trains, yes, trains, in this apocalyptic waste of Colorado and Utah. They even chose a desert like Star Wars, but didn't bother flying out to Tunisia. Oh yeah, yeah, the story. It turns out the Mad Max people living there, who are also kind of sand people and Jawas at the same time, what with their rags and junk and all, Anyway, they all want the ladies, and our guy has to pursue them. And that's really it. There's no real progression in the movie. There's no, oh, the game's changed. Nope, he just has a train fight, then a monster fight, then a different monster fight. Just a series of new challenges, but even that makes it sound more interesting than it really is. And for being so vehicle-focused, I don't think they ever do have a real chase scene. Eh. I will say this, the production design kind of sucks, But there's laser blasts and explosions, and they're all fine. There's nothing embarrassing about the special effects they put together. A lot of the blasts, particularly at the start, are red and blue. I'm guessing to help with the 3D effect if you saw that version. I was only watching Space Hunter in 2D. Huh. Maybe that's why I didn't love this movie. I bet the 3D could have saved it, right? Who else is in this movie? Hey, there's Molly Ringwald. This was only her second movie, and she was, what, 15 years old? She does fine as a streetwise kid. Can you really be a streetwise kid growing up in the desert? Anyway, she's the tough kid who's annoying, but can show the hero the way. And here's the other main reason I wanted to cover this movie. Ernie Hudson shows up a half hour into this movie. He's shaved his head, bald, and he doesn't have his mustache. Man, that's a shame. But anyway, he's got his own truck. After a bit of a fight, it turns out he and Not Solo know each other. Ernie Hudson is a space cop who chastises Not Solo for being too cool and too awesome and too much of a rogue. Eh, what does it matter? They both act the same, and even though they should just team up, it takes them a while before they finally decide to work together. Just before we jump to the end, what other things can I mention? Oh jeez, I haven't even pointed out that they've got Elmer Bernstein to do the music for this movie, and he includes an On martineau and everything. I think Bernstein saw that they wanted some of that heavy metal mojo back. But I will say, this is also some of Bernstein's most uninspired work. There's not a lot going on. It's the closest he's ever been to phoning it in. But it's fine, and you know, it's about the level of effort this movie deserved. Speaking of sounds, this movie just straight up stole some of R2-D2's beeps. You hear it in the spaceship and when a robot dies. And the Star Wars content keeps on coming. One joke is that Molly Ringwald's character doesn't know the word millennium, So she says, Melonium, as in a Melonium Falcon. Clever, huh? Not really? Oh, and Not Solo even calls her princess, very much copying Harrison Ford calling Carrie Fisher princess and highness and worshipfulness and all that. Here, it's supposed to be a gag because she's all dirty and definitely not a princess. Funny, right? Funny. Oh, I keep thinking of more of these. There's a water scene with a puppet monster. It's supposed to be like the thing in the trash compactor, or else whatever spat out R2-D2 and Dagobah. Here it just shows up, gets blasted, and they move on. Things just happen like that. Speaking of things just happening, there's a part where Not-Solo and Molly Ringwald are in danger of monster women, so they need to ditch their all-important truck and escape into the desert. It's a whole thing, and Molly nearly dies from exposure. But then they're saved! Yay! Okay, are we on to the next setting? Well, yes, but then they suddenly have their truck back. Huh. I guess we're supposed to assume that they went back to the dangerous area with the monster women and took back their truck? But this isn't shown. Hell, it's not even commented on. Just those women were a deadly threat for one scene, which even resulted in Molly nearly dying after hours in the desert. But after that, eh, let's just go back and get it, no problem. Hey, another actor I want to point out. Michael Ironside is the villain, a mutant who's also a cyborg and very much a Mad Max leader. When we meet him, he's growling and almost doing the menacing dark side voice he'd do for the Superman and Justice League cartoons. Just take away some of that growling and shouting, and it's dark side, which is mildly fun for me to hear. Hey, speaking of Michael Ironside, he was in David Cronenberg's film Scanners. Ivan Reitman had nothing to do with Scanners, but he and Cronenberg are friends and had worked together in the past, so it's possible Michael Ironside got noticed to play the villain in this movie after being in Scanners. Just a possibility. I'm not really sure, of course. Let's drive to the end. Not Solo, Molly Ringwald, and Ernie Hudson go to Michael Ironside's ugly castle, or complex, or whatever, which is supposed to be the Forbidden Zone. Hey, that's fine. It's forbidden. But it's not like it's any more dangerous than any other zones they've been through. All along, the heroes have been battling ragged desert people, monster puppets, deformed mutants, all sorts of threats. Frankly, it's all a Forbidden Zone, so this castle isn't anything really different. Oh hey, the tiniest of trivia, Canada's own Colin Mockery, plays a guard at the castle. I think he's one of the guys who grabs Molly Ringwald, but he's wearing a mask, so you can't tell. But Colin Mockery has mentioned this movie in tweets and everything. Uh, if you don't know who Colin Mockery is, he's the bald guy on Whose Line Is It Anyway? Also, he's super nice, I really love him. But Space Hunter, Space Hunter... The big bad guy, Michael Ironside, is pretty inconsistent on what he wants to do with the three women his guys have kidnapped. It turns out he has a machine that can absorb life force so it can keep him going. That old shtick. So he's like a vampire, or it does the dark crystal thing from that movie. But also, also, he's got a gladiatorial-style death maze that he likes to throw people into for his henchmen's entertainment. There are spinning blades and fire, and in keeping with the Mad Max theme of the movie, there's a wicked car that can magically appear anywhere in the maze to squish victims. Sometimes Michael Ironside wants prisoners to go into his death maze, while sometimes he wants their life force, and he'll flip-flop on what he wants to do with the women. Of course, Molly Ringwald gets captured too, by evil Colin Mockery. But she gets out okay with a little intervention from Not Solo. They end up killing Michael Ironside, rescuing the ladies, and get out with Ernie Hudson. Hey, miniatures people! Wake up! We need a spaceship again! Quick! They all head out to space, and now Molly Ringwald is going to be Peter Strauss's precocious sidekick. And that's it! You know what? If I went by how the internet usually works, YouTube videos and all that, I should be making a big show about how this is the worst movie in existence! How it's monumentally bad! But it isn't. Oh, it's bad, but more than anything else, it's unremarkable. You know what it's doing, trying to be another Star Wars, but needing to lean on Mad Max because it doesn't have the budget to stay out in space? Actually, I'll say this, the actors are all perfectly fine in this movie. It's nice to see Ernie Hudson a year before Ghostbusters, but he doesn't say or do anything remarkable. Same for everyone else, really. Their lines are nothing but cliches, but they deliver them exactly as well as can be. I'm glad the whole cast got to do better stuff after this. And again, Peter Strauss probably impressed me the most at doing a fair Harrison Ford impression. I mean, that's still weird. Why not go and watch Harrison Ford instead? I mean, Ford is in plenty of movies. But it's still an impressive feat to pull off. Ditto for the director, Lamont Johnson. I don't blame him at all, or the special effects people for the budget they had. This just isn't an interesting enough film. Really, I'm not recommending you watch this because it's good, or kitsch, or so bad it's good, or anything like that. The only reason to watch it is if you're like me, and are interested in seeing all of Goldberg and Bloom's work, or what Ernie Hudson was up to right before Ghostbusters, or hey, maybe you're a Molly Ringwald fan. That's Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. We've checked in on some of Ivan Reitman's crew, And most importantly, I think Ivan is now aware of Ernie Hudson. Now, this movie did not get him his role in Ghostbusters. Hudson has been clear that he did audition for the role of Winston. But hey, Reitman has seen Mr. Hudson now. Thanks for listening. I'm Ross May, and you can follow me on Twitter at RossMayWriter, or go to RossMayWriter.com to find my email there. I promise you we're about to get into Ghostbusters. We'll cover that soon, but for now we'd better split up. We can do more damage that way.